Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 181, Suit Up for Mars. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, and astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. So we're continuing our Mars Monthly series on First Fridays. Last month, we chatted with Dr. Paul Niles about Mars the planet, its atmosphere, uh, the pressure, some of the dust storms. There's a lot that Mars will throw at humans exploring its surface, so we have to be prepared with the right spacesuit. Luckily, we have a lot of smart people already thinking about how to address some of these issues. Things like those dust storms, mobility, and planetary protection. One of those smart people is Natalie Mary, a systems engineer for the Extravehicular Activity, or EVA, office. It's her job to perform analysis and integration for the Exploration EVA system with suit engineers and stakeholders from programs such as Artemis, Gateway, and Mars. So, let's get right into it. Suiting up for Mars with Natalie Mary. Enjoy. Natalie Mary, thanks for coming on Houston. We have a podcast today. Thanks for having me. What an interesting topic, Martian spacesuits uh, suiting up for working on the surface of another planet. It's a huge deal. Natalie, I want to start with just understanding what it takes to work in such an interesting field. How do you get to the point where you are, where you're thinking about how to live and work on Mars in a spacesuit? Yeah, well, like uh, most space nerds out there, I, I grew up looking at the sky and stars and imagining about exploration. And I mean, as a kid, I put together those little glow-in-the-dark constellations on my ceiling in my room. Um, and I found I was decent at math and science and decided to want, you know, go into engineering, um, some sort of engineering field. And so I went to Texas A&M for a bachelor's in aerospace engineering. Um, about the time I graduated in 2000, um, it was perfect as NASA was hiring flight controllers. So um, pretty much as the ISS assembly began. Um, so I was a flight controller for about eight years and was very privileged to be a part of that. And then after that, I took on more of a like systems engineering kind of role and began working with the extravehicular activity office. And so my focus has been on systems engineering, such as architecture, interfaces, um, ops cons for multiple missions, um, including exploration spacesuit capabilities for uh, lunar, cis-lunar, and Mars missions. Um, and so my role has really been mainly on the architecture side of things, but to know that, you need to know what folks want the suit to actually do on the surface of Mars, um, how the environment of Mars infects the design of the suit, um, what kind of architectures the suit interfaces with, like pressurized rovers or habitats. Um, and so that is what I'm doing currently. And by the way, um, it's kind of cool that you call this podcast um, Suit Up for Mars because we have a public website that you can go to at, at nasa.gov um, backslash suit up. And that has our Artemis Generation spacesuits rollout, some, some really cool references and images. 
and we have a yearly EVA technology workshop that um, includes the presentations throughout the years for that. Nice. So if you want to know more about just spacesuits in general, that's a good place to go. So, Natalie, why don't we start with that, spacesuits in general. Um, give a, uh, folks a sneak peek on what's on that website and uh, sort of what we're going to be talking about today. So some of those things you got to consider when you're designing a spacesuit. What are the things that are uh, that a spacesuit provides that it's it's necessary for space exploration? Yeah, yeah. So the spacesuit um, provides the crew member with the life support, environmental protection, and communications capability to allow um, EVAs outside of the vehicle, extravehicular activity outside of the vehicle in the vacuum of space or on a planetary surface. Um, so it's not just clothes or scuba diving equipment, for example. Like if you're going to go scuba diving, uh, you have your dive suit for thermal, your buoyancy control, mask, fins, breathing air, uh, dive computer, things like that. Um, but with a spacesuit, that includes thermal protection and, and mobility and informatics, but it, it also protects you from vacuum by providing a pressure garment and oxygen and CO2 removal, communications, power, cooling water, drinking water and, and waste management, all the things that you need to survive. And so it's, it's pretty much your own personal spacecraft. That's actually the best way that I've ever heard it being described as your own personal spacecraft or like a spacecraft shaped like a human body. That's, that's essentially what it is. It's doing all these things to, uh, you know, separate all the needs or to give all the needs of what the human body is wanting um, within that environment because space or other planets, they just, they just don't uh, provide those needs, right? Exactly. Yeah. Now, there's a couple things about, um, you know, spacesuits. There, there, you mentioned a couple when you were talking about your current work on uh, does, or thinking about what a suit is going to be needed for Mars. And some of the things you brought up was like the architecture of, of Mars itself, right? What, what's going to be on the surface that the suit is going to need to interact with? Uh, what are you going to be doing? What do you want to do? Uh, I think like bending up and picking up rocks is probably one of those things you want to do and some of the environment. Um, so, uh, you know, I'm, th I'm thinking about those things, but I wanted to stay with just spacesuits in general, right? So like thinking about, um, you know, how a spacesuit is designed to, to meet needs, right? So you're talking about the needs of a planet, Let's back up to like the EMU, right? This is the suit that's on the International Space Station. It's meant for microgravity. What purposes is the EMU? What is the EMU addressing? You know, what is it? Um, how is it designed to operate the most efficiently in a microgravity environment? Okay, so transitioning from a suit um, made from microgravity uh, to reduced gravity, there's there's definitely some differences in mobility. So, in microgravity. Uh, you're really transitioning and translating with your arms and hands um, and, and your boots and your legs are pretty much stable or um, floating, I guess, per se. Um, but for the moon and, and Mars, reduced gravity will need that capability um, in the lower torso, waist, legs, boots to walk on the surface, uh, kneel down and pick something up and uh, explore on uneven terrain. Um, the EMU was designed for microgravity, so doesn't have the, those bearings in the lower torso or, or hiking-style boots designed for walking. Um, 
And then the, the life support um, for microgravity and, and vacuum is, is also different. It's designed for vacuum, and it, it and the EMU, it's a great system. It's called Medox, um, but it, it uses um, a heavy oven in the airlock to kind of bake off that CO2 for CO2 removal. Um, and, and the suit mass itself is, is designed, it's not that big of a deal for microgravity, but um, when it, it comes pretty important uh, when you start talking about the mass worn um, by the crew member on Mars and on the moon. The EMU is also, um, it wasn't designed to be uh, repaired and, and remove and replace components on orbit. It's, it was um, have the ability with ISS to be able to bring back the entire suit and fix things on Earth. Um, and with Mars and, and the moon, um, that's, we're looking at being able to um, repair components or remove and replace components in situ. Oh, see, that's a big deal, right? Because you, that's a, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a much different of a trip to go from low Earth orbit back to Earth uh, than it is, than it is from Mars. Um, I'm thinking about the this features of the suit itself, right? Things that you need. I think you have a, you have a great description of just what it's providing. I think another interesting component here is is atmospheric pressure, right? So. We're, we're used to, I think, sea levels like 14.7 psi, pounds per square inch, on, on the Earth, and that is matched within the environment of the International Space Station. Now, I know that suits are a little bit different. They go, they go lower, and I'm curious as to, as to why. Yeah, okay. So um, if you were to have a suit at our sea level atmosphere at 14.7 um, delta pressure to vacuum, it, it would pretty much blow up like a balloon and, and it would be really stiff um, so that you could barely move your joints, let alone your, your fingers. Uh, so during an EDA, the suit pressure is actually lowered to around 4.3 PSID. Um, and to do that, you increase the oxygen content to 100% oxygen to both allow for improved mobility and to prevent decompression sickness or what you call the bends, you usually hear it called during scuba diving. Um, and so you can actually change the atmosphere in the vehicle too prior to an EVA to reduce that duration of pre-breathe. Um, but when you reduce the pressure, you have to increase your oxygen concentration. Um, that also increases flammability risks um, and so there is actually some testing going on. It's pretty exciting um, this year to help come up with those kind of exploration atmospheres um, to use across vehicles from like cis lunar to the moon to Mars and come up with some commonality in the ecosystems. Oh, that's pretty cool. Just like a, like a guide for, for if you're if you're working here, this is the atmospheric pressure you want, maybe maybe about composition too. So that's what you're doing. You're, you're making almost a guidebook for uh, depending on where you're exploring. Exactly. Yeah. And that, that'll help um, with probably coming up with the objectives of, um, of a mission or the particular science objectives and what you want to do during an EVA, how often you want to go EVA um, and, and that duration 
Um, so those different atmospheres will affect that that time that you prepare for an EVA. Cool. So we're talking about atmospheric pressures, and uh, and Natalie, you went through a lot of the components of of an you know what's on the suits that we know these microgravity suits, right? The uh, oxygen waste management power. Um, really what we're leading up to here is talking about uh, these next generations of suits. We ultimately want to suit up for Mars, but I know we're working on a suit right now uh, called the XEMU. And we actually had a podcast about it with uh, Chris Hansen, another episode. It's called Artemis Spacesuits. Um, that took a deep dive into the technical aspects of there. But let's take a refresher course, uh, Natalie, on, on this XEMU. What are we going to be talking about um, for for this particular suit, some of those some of those primary high level things. Okay, yeah, these are really exciting times to be working with the EVA community because we've already incorporated um, a lot of things and lessons learned from past spacesuits and fifty years of of EVAs. Um, and so, uh, one of the major things I think are incorporating the increased upper mobility and lower mobility. Um, to allow those crew members to perform the science that they want um, and go exploring. And so I, I had the pleasure of going on a geology field trip with our awesome geologists, and um, it was amazing. And while you plan a traverse prior to going into the field, you end up finding interesting rocks or transitional regions that just make you want to go climb into the rocks and, uh, <laughs> or dig and collect samples. Um, for instance, the scientists want to be able to go into uh, a permanently shadowed crater or region and collect samples or um, climb on some uneven terrain. Um, and so we've incorporated that mobility by including hip and leg bearings so that you can rotate and bend and get down and onto your knee and, and collect a sample. Um, and so the upper torso has also been made with greater mobility in mind, um, not only for the smaller crew members, but um, also being able to rotate the shoulders. Um, and those side bearings have been moved closer in so that you can uh, reach over and touch, you know, your shoulder. Um, and so that's a really, those are really interesting for lunar and, and Mars surfaces that we can learn from even further. So tell me about this geology expedition. What was your, what was your role in, in that? I don't know if you got to put on the suit. That would be awesome. Oh, no, I wish. <laughs> I have been in, I've got to, to be in the EMU, and that was really cool. Um, but we went out shirt sleeve, um, and we uh, had like a, a beginning lesson basically on, on what we were going to do the next day and planned out traverses, um, to try and find out um, what exactly happened, if there was a lava flow there, how the terrain had changed. Um, and we learned some of the, the, I guess, rocks that you can see how things were formed um, in that region. Um, and so it was really cool. We, just, we went out um, and started off at the same point, and we had different teams. Um, and we mapped out our region, and, and we ended up changing our traverses along the way as we chipped off really cool rocks with, um, oh, gosh, I can't remember all the, the geology terms now because <laughs> I'm not a geologist. Um, but it was, it was very interesting learning how to um, go along and, 
and what you wanted to climb or get down and chip a, a rock off. And all of these things, thinking about being in a, in a suit, a pressurized suit, is what we, how we need to really um, be able to make the suit work for for these objectives. And so that was going to be my question, right? It sounds like it's a, you were learning a little bit about geology, but you as the spacesuit expert, you were understanding when you're on an expedition, here's the sort of movements you're going to need to make. And it sounds like there's a little bit of, you know, there's bending up, there was bending, there was uh, like climbing over stuff. You just, it seems like mobility is just one of those things that's necessary for a successful geological expedition. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it was, it was eye-opening. Yeah. <laughs> Now you said you also got to put on the suit. So, so what was that like? Oh, was, it was incredible. Well, the EMU, um, I I got to to put that on was a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and um, it was interesting because it's a waste entry suit, and so uh, this was in one G, of course. So I had suit techs um, helping me get into the the lower torso and kind of pull the pants, if you, you know, per se up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they kind of help you hold that while you, um, get underneath the upper torso of the EMU and reach up with your hands first and get in that way. Um, and so that, and then of course they, they sealed it up and put the, the cooling on and it was super cool. I loved it. So that's another feature of the XEMU is instead of the crew member pulling up the pants and um, ingressing the suit through the upper torso, um, we, it, we call it a rear entry suit. And, and that's how the crew member ingresses is through the back hatch of the suit. Um, and that, that makes it easier for the crew member to able to climb in and out of the suit um, and also decreases uh, crew injury with the shoulders. So there's a couple of things that we're thinking about, right? Because because ultimately the suit that we are, that you're talking about, the, the XEMU, what we're what we're considering is the stuff that you're going to do during, while you're exploring the surface of the moon or Mars. So w- the discussions we're having now is like, uh, mobility, right? So you got that lower mobility, you got the upper mobility. It sounds like there's this this rear entry suit and there's got to be a reason for that, right? What do you cuz cuz one of the things you said early in the podcast was the things you're considering is what are we going to be doing on the surface and that's going to inform design. So obviously, you know, having more ability uh, mobility rather on the lower torso to bend over and on the up, upper torso to grab rocks um, and and climb stuff the suit port has to serve a purpose for what you're going to be doing on the surface, right? So how does, how does that come into play? Why, why is that uh, necessary for when you're operating on the moon? Okay, yeah, so suit ports um, are a technology uh, that you may have seen on the pressurized rover picks or even here on site at um, JSC and Building 9. Um, but we're considering it uh, within the range of technology options, um, being evaluated for our suit technology, um, and which is flexible enough to support it, uh, given those things that I just mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, and so don, being able to don the suit through the back hatch, um, the suit has that capability, uh, as well as the capability of a variable pressure regulator, um, so that you can start at a, a different um, or higher pressure differential. 
Um, this could allow uh, the crew member, um, depending on what starting pressure uh, they're saturated at, to be able to have a shorter pre-breeze, um, ingress the suit through that hatch, and hop off the vehicle, basically. So mm. it, it could decrease that um, pre-EDA time quite a bit. Uh, and so there's a lot of discussion on um, if you want to uh, – jump out and, and look at something interesting um, or if you want to uh, stay out for longer. Basically, you could have that capability of doing both. Um, you would be able to plan your traverses and have the capability to um, perform a longer EVA if you're out for a long time and want to perform science at a specific site or have the, the, that cycle capability if you want to perform multiple EVAs in a day. So let's continue down that path, Natalie, about uh, exploring the, the operations of, of performing an EVA on the surface. Take us through um, what that's going to be like. You already mentioned you know, enter, entering through the back uh, port of the suit and doing a pre-breathe operations, but what's, what's, a, what's an excursion going to look like? Let's, let's start with the moon. What's an, what would an excursion look like on the moon? Um, yeah, so we have uh, some operational concepts that we're looking at. Um, if you have a habitat, say, and a, and a pressurized rover, um, you're looking at going out on excursions in the pressurized rover away from the habitat um, for uh, maybe a week or two at a time um, and, and kind of doing maybe a cloverleaf-type um, traverse, uh, kind of going out farther and then coming back in um, to the locations that scientists want to to go perform their objectives, um, and so maybe during a day you'd go out and in your pressurized rover, and then you're pre you're already saturated at that that pressure, and so you're able to get in your suit, perform suit checkouts, um, egress the the suit port, and um, perform your science objective possibly come back in for lunch or potty break or something like that, and then go back out. Um, or you could go out for even longer, eight-hour duration EVA, and come back in. And eventually, we're, we're going to need to perform uh, suit maintenance on the suits. And mm -hmm. so to do that, um, we're going to be using a pressurizable volume and bringing the suits inside a pressurizable volume like an airlock. Um, on the habitat. So eventually you'd go back to that habitat um, and bring the suits inside an airlock for suit maintenance. Oh, interesting. Okay. So, yeah, you, you would have that ability. So I guess a suit can, yeah, would have to be in that airlock so you can regularly work on it. The maintenance that you're doing would be like, uh, you know, switching out internal components maybe. Are we talking maybe maybe gloves? What do you mean by maintenance? Yeah, so we do have experience with, with ISS. Um, you've got an engineered smooth surface, um, except for micrometeorites. So you, we do have some debris that you know, will hit uh, handrails and things like that. So there are sharp edges on the ISS, so we have experience with that. Um, but what we don't have as much experience with is uh, you know, the sharp, dusty environment of the moon. 
um, or the dusty environment of Mars. Um, and so we know just from ISS that we need to change out gloves um, fairly frequently. So that's something that, uh, an example of some suit maintenance that we would need to do on the surface. Um, and then there's other components uh, that we um, maybe are called limited life items or things that we know we'll need to replace after a certain amount of cycle life. Um, and so that's when we would bring the suit inside for, for suit maintenance. Um, but that is um, actually another way we're going to be using the moon as an analog to Mars as understanding further those operations of the pressurized rover, um, suit maintainability, and suit reliability. Um, so those things we might be able to d decrease in time um, it, the more we know about the suit and what is what the main components and sparing philosophy will be for the moon and Mars. Oh, interesting. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense, right? Moon... That's uh, part of the Artemis uh, program, going to the, returning to the surface of the moon and performing those operations. A lot of the stuff that you're doing there, the operations that you're talking about, um, having you know the the design of how you're going to be uh, performing an EVA and then how you maintain the suits and everything. That's really good, really good analog, really good practice for when you ultimately uh, end up at the surface of Mars. Exactly. Yeah, it's just a, it's a, it's another stepping stone and what we call or refer to as an analog for Mars. Um, and while there are differences and challenges between the moon and Mars um, that we will need further technology development with, uh, there's a lot of similarities there that we'll learn from on the moon. Well, let's go into understanding a little bit about Mar what Mars is going to throw at us when we actually uh, uh, get there on the surface and start working in spacesuits. So what is it about Mars, um, you know, what is it about the Mars environment that you're preparing for and that you're putting into the design of a spacesuit? Um, yeah, okay. So um, Mars does have an, you know, an atmosphere, albeit a small one, but there's actually wind and fine particles uh, that will get on the suit. It, it's also dusty like the moon, um, hopefully less sharp dust because of the atmosphere. Um, but the, the lunar surface will get us a lot closer to understanding um, kind of like a layered engineering protocol uh, to design the suits for removal of dust outside of the habitable volume and removal and cleaning of dust inside the habitat. And, and this will become really important on Mars, too, because of planetary protection. Um, so there's a, a committee on space research uh, that classifies the moon and, and Mars differently. Um, and we'll likely have to abide by more stringent planetary protection protocols on Mars than we do on ISS and the moon. Um, and so that means protecting Mars science from human contaminants. Um, or forward contamination, and protecting the humans from anything that might be harmful on Mars or backward contamination. Um, so suit could also there be an important process of preventing that backwards contamination um, by what is referred to as uh, breaking the chain or uh, leaving the dusty suits behind on the, on the surface of Mars. And with that, though, with the suit port design, it also does have impacts on or changes that would, would need to be made um, from uh, an initial XBMU to a Mars suit. Um, and so it, it can add mass to the suit because it has to add um, a, a suit port interface plate 
um, that, that actually is a sealing surface between the suit and the bulkhead of the pressurized rover. Um, so one of the things we're really going to be looking forward um, to is the technology development of that, but the technology development of um, how we can reduce the mass um, on the suit for Mars. Um, and so that gets really important when you're talking about um, getting down to Mars surface after being in microgravity for so long, getting to that three-eighths gravity um, as opposed to um, what we've learned from the moon's one-sixth gravity. Um, and so with the crew members having been in space for six to nine months, um, they've really gotten acclimated to microgravity. Um, so when you get to the surface, you really don't want to battle a heavy suit with a very different you know, or possibly different CG after being in microgravity mm. um, and then getting down to the surface. And so I know um, doctors are saying we'll need to acclimate to that higher gravity over a certain amount of time. And so we'll, we'll stay um, in the vehicle for a little bit longer, possibly before performing an EVA. Um, but that mass reduction um, and understanding CG will be a big deal for crew members acclimating to the Martian gravity. So now we're talking about taking this, what we're thinking about for the XEMU, right? This is the one uh, we're thinking about for the surface of the Mars. You're talking about taking a step further. What technologies are needed to take that step to eventually work on the surface of Mars? Max, mass reduction is one of those things. What else What else are we thinking about that we uh, some technology we need to develop for, for getting ready for working on Mars? Okay, yeah, we, we definitely know we have some upgrades that we need to do to <laughs> yeah. uh, develop a suit for Mars. And, and so materials is one of those things as well. We're, we're looking, we're actually um, going to have some materials uh, on landing on Mars pretty soon, the, on the Perseverance rover. Oh, cool. I think that's, yeah, yeah, I think that's February 18th, right? Um, so it'll be carrying a, a payload called Sherlock which includes materials from the visor and pressure garment system to see how well they hold up um, to the radiation on Mars over time. Um, and, and some other technologies are, um, like we mentioned, the atmosphere on Mars um, is more of a CO2 atmosphere, um, and then the thermal environment is different. So those are two um, sometimes what we call gaps um, that we're looking forward in our strategic planning on um, technologies that we can upgrade for Mars. Um, so our XEMU technology is awesome, um, and it's, it's really more efficient for vacuum, though. It uses a, a swing bed technology. And so that CO2 is collected on one side of the bed, and then once it flips, it is vented to vacuum. Um, but with the CO2 atmosphere on Mars, an upgrade will, will be necessary. Um, and so the same thing goes with the cooling swing beds and, and the fact that, that Mars has more of a convective thermal atmosphere with weather and seasons um, than a radiator like the vacuum of space and, and lunar surface. So we'll be looking at different technologies for CO2 removal and, and thermal cooling and heating. Um, and another change is going to be that, that calm delay um, mm. between Earth and Mars, right? So it could be, I think we were talking up to 22 minutes one way. Um, and so we rely a lot on the MCC, our Mission Control Center, to provide guidance and monitor data and send commands 
right now for ISS and, and also for Mars, uh, I mean for Moon, um, but for Mars, um, crew autonomy is going to be, uh, become a lot more important and more important than ever with crew members possibly consisting of scientists and, and then greater reliance on software and procedures on the suit um, and maybe intervehicular crew member guidance, um, like your crew members that are on, on Mars with you. Um, and so that communication is, is going to become really important and autonomy. See, that's that. That wouldn't even be something that I would think of immediately, you know. And and I I uh, actually do commentary for um, spacewalks now, and you can just hear over the loops um, just all the behind the scenes work, all the behind the scenes chatter that's happening as we're watching a spacewalk happen real time. There's decisions being made, and people analyzing data from all these different angles. So it's just. It's really it, just understanding that from from my perspective and, and being a part of that, thinking about all of that goes away, right? All those helping hands, all those eyeballs go away because there's, there's no way to efficiently conduct a spacewalk if you're waiting 22 minutes, even more, more than that, uh, for an answer if you have a question. Uh, uh, very interesting stuff. Is there is there thoughts to practice this, you know, whether it's on the moon or, or otherwise, just to sort of get used to it before we do it for real? Yeah, we uh, we actually do a lot of analog work and 1G um, on oh, cool. this, um, and even incorporating in delays and calm. Um, and then I, I think that's a great analog for the moon is um, once we start upgrading our informatics systems and um, even allowing the the crew members during an EVA to change procedures or, or make decisions. Um, based on the science that they see right in front of their face, um, then it's a really good analog to, to use the moon as um, as well. Well, Natalie, I'm I'm super excited about Mars, and it, it just sounds like there's a lot of challenges ahead to to take that next step and and close those gaps, as you're saying, right? There's just a lot of a lot of work ahead, but. I'm thinking about the near future. I'm thinking about Artemis and how 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 near term that uh, ver- seems to us right now. You know, going on the surface of the moon and and working and doing great science and everything. I'm curious from your perspective, working on spacesuits. I'm I'm curious to hear what you are excited for 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 this upcoming period of time where we're going to have a new generation of moonwalkers and what you're looking forward to doing and exploring that's going to help you in your job in understanding. Um, how to live and work on, on Mars in spacesuits. Oh, yeah, I'm super excited. This is an awesome time to be working um, with the EVA community and, and lunar surface and Artemis. Um, and so, yeah, our, Artemis just offers a great opportunity to test out our systems and, um, and operations closer to home and, and understand that maintenance and reliability and, and the operations and um, crew autonomy and so even though some of those aspects of our Mars suit are different than the, the Artemis lunar suit, um, there's just so many of the operations, like dust removal is a big thing and instant to suit maintenance. Um, and so I think those were, are going to be um, an amazing analog to, to go for Mars. 
Very cool. Natalie, this has been really, really, really interesting to dive so deep into, um, you know, not even this next generation of suits, but it's, it's cool to hear that, that there's a team of, of really smart people thinking about the generation after that, right? Just getting us ready uh, to take those next steps. So it was really a pleasure to, to talk to you about and, and dive deep into all the fascinating aspects of a Martian spacesuit. Appreciate your time, Natalie. Thank you. Hey, thanks for sticking around. I hope you learned something today from Natalie Mary diving deep into what's needed for uh, designing that next generation of suit, those Martian spacesuits, and even some of the stuff that's coming up for uh, lunar exploration. It was a pleasure to have her on. Uh, this was just one of many podcasts that we've been diving into as part of our uh, Mars Monthly series. We've been releasing at least one episode about Mars uh, every month for, oh gosh, almost a year now. Um, you can check them all out. Uh, we actually have put them together in a collection on our website. That's at, uh, just search Houston. We have a podcast, Mars Episodes. It'll come up. Uh, and this, I think, is episode nine, maybe ten. Uh, but we only have one more. We're going to throw in a bonus episode as well, but uh, I hope you are able to tune into all of them. And, and if not, before we get to that uh, last episode coming up in March, uh, that'll be the last time that we drop a Mars Monthly episode, uh, go ahead to that website and you can go ahead and catch up on all the conversations we've had so far about a human mission to Mars. Natalie mentioned up front uh, more about learning about uh, spacesuits in general. There's a website for that, nasa.gov slash suitup. You can take a deep dive into all the work uh, being done there. And of course, we, Houston, we have a podcast, are one of many across all of NASA, the agency. So you can check out all of them at nasa.gov slash podcasts. Houston, we have a podcast, uh, sends uh, social tweets and messages and posts through uh, the Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you want to talk to us, just use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show. And just make sure it's to mention it's for us at uh, Houston, we have a podcast. This episode was recorded on January 20th, 2021. Thanks to Alex Perryman, Pat Ryan, Nora Moran, Belinda Polito, Jennifer Hernandez, Stephanie Cipolla, and Michelle Rucker. The next episode of our Mars Monthly series will drop March 5th, 2021, so stay tuned. Thanks again to Natalie Mary for taking the time to come on the show. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on, and tell us what you think of the show. We'll be back next week. <laughs>